0: Uh, I have a, a game that I like to play at my house, and it's just a little—I guess it's a card game—is what you would call it, but uh, it's got little tokens too. But it's a game called Hanabi. Okay, so if you ever come over to my house and you say, "Matt, can we play Hanabi?" I'll pull out this little purple box and we'll play it. Um, the object of Hanabi is pretty straightforward. Um, you're supposed to put on a fireworks show um, with cards. Okay, and I don't want to get into all the the gameplay of how it works. Um, but if you're good at the game and the people you're playing with are good at the game, it's a cooperative game, um, you can put on a perfect fireworks show. That's 25 or 30 points, depending on um, what deck you're playing with. Uh, and that fireworks show is so rare to put on the perfect fireworks show. Um, but, but it's the goal of the game every time to do it, but sometimes you fall short. Sometimes someone messes up or the cards don't um, fall the way you need them to, and you end up putting on a mediocre fireworks show. And at that point, you start blaming other people because it can't ever be your fault that the game didn't work out the way it's supposed to. I don't know about you, but I've seen some fireworks shows in my life, real-life fireworks shows in my life, that have been anticlimactic, right? Like, it's going, and it's going, and it's kind of going at a normal pace, and then it just stops. And you're like, I I thought there was going to be, like, the big finale like where you you just empty out the storeroom and everything goes up in the air and everyone walks away like that was a satisfying fireworks show you know when you go to one that just ends abruptly ends you walk away from there pretty pretty let down Uh, and today we're going to talk about a story in the bible where things don't end the way you think they should right everything going up to it looks like it's going to be one way and then the story just just ends um, and so, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 11. We're going through the book of Mark. Um, we're now in Mark chapter 11. We'll be out of Mark in a, you know, a week or 12. Um, so, we're, we're working our way through it, though, guys. So, Mark chapter 11, uh, if you have your Bibles, Mark's second book in the New Testament, um, uh, chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. Remember, Jesus has been working his way to Jerusalem. For the last four chapters of Mark, he's been going to Jerusalem. Uh, That's the whole point of those four chapters, to prepare his disciples and the people who are following him for the big moment when he comes to the place that he keeps saying he's going. And today, he's going to get there, okay? Today, the long wait, four chapters of wait is over, and Jesus reaches... Jerusalem. I want, to, I want to take just one minute before I start, though, and say Um, last week um, Bill Whitmire preached, and Bill did a tremendous um, job uh, getting us ready for this passage. So, Bill, thank you so much. It's good to know um, that, that you're able to fill the pulpit and do so admirably, and I appreciate that. I truly do, Bill. All right, let's read Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when they had drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if someone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and he'll send it back here immediately. And sure enough, they went away and they found a colt, tied a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those who were standing there said to him, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. I'm going to stop here because this is the first movement of this story. We know this story. This is ultimately the story that makes up Palm Sunday, right? The the triumphal entry. That's what my Bible titles this as, that Jesus is going to take his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it starts with Jesus saying, Hey, guys, we're getting close to Jerusalem. I'm not just going to walk in there like I've walked everywhere else for the last three years. I'm going to ride into that town, okay? So, go down into this nearest little town to us, and that could be Bethany or Bethpage. We don't know which one exactly is the close town that he's speaking of. And he says, you're going to find this specific animal, and it's a colt, um, another uh, uh, version of this, and, and, and Matthew calls it a donkey, All right, And it's this donkey um, that no one has ever ridden on. All right. and, and that seems kind of odd, right, that, that, that it's a donkey no one's ever ridden on, and Jesus is just going to hop right on. I'm not a rancher. I've said this before, right? Like, I'm from the suburbs. Um, uh, and I don't really understand riding, like, beasts of burden and horses that well. But I'm pretty sure if you just hop on a random donkey, like, like the, you may have some issues, right? I don't know. Maybe donkeys are naturally meek, and they, they're like, whatever, we'll go wherever you want. But regardless, he says, I want you to find one that's never been ridden. And bring it to me. Now, you may ask yourself, why is that detail in here? That's a good question, by the way. Thank you for asking that, DJ. So, so why is that detail in there that the donkey's never been ridden? Well, the, well, the reason is uh, Jesus, right, is the Son of God. He's the Holy One, He's the Messiah, He's the coming King of all kings. And He says, I want this specific animal that's never been ridden because if you go back to the Old Testament, the, the animals that carried the Ark of the Covenant you know, they saddled them up and they they yoked them together, were donkeys that had never been yoked before. So you find a couple of donkeys that have never, ever had a a burden placed on their back, and the burden they're going to carry is the holiest thing that we have, right? The Ark of the Covenant. And they're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is saying, look, I am the personified most holy thing now, right? That thing that was most holy in the Old Testament has been replaced by me. I am the holy one, That we have been waiting to have. And so they go down there and they find this donkey. And I don't know what you're like with your things. Right now, uh, currently I have a kitten at my house. And if you were to come to my house and say, hey, I would like that kitten. I have a need for it. I would say take the kitten away from me. By the way, it's adorable. It's black and white, and it's got a little goatee. You would love it, right? It makes a great pet. If you have children, they would love to have it. See me after the service, okay? Gray's, you don't want another cat, okay? Elvis needs a friend. All right, we'll talk about it later, okay? We'll talk later. But look, there's. There, if you were to come and ask me for my kitten, I'd be like, sure, whatever. But if I had a donkey that was like a, something that I used for like grinding grain or I don't know whatever it was and someone said I'm going to take your donkey I would say no just like if you came to my house and said hey I'm just going to take your car right like I don't know who you are you're not just going to come and take my car and drive it around and promise me to bring it back like we'll have a, some paperwork and some documents and maybe a notary and then maybe I'll let you borrow my car temporarily but, but I'm just not going to loan it to anybody. But Jesus says, go, find this donkey, and take it. And if someone asks why you're stealing their donkey, say, I have need for it. Now, that's weird, right? It was weird in Jesus' time. Normal people couldn't just go and requisition animals from their neighbors or from people they passed by. right? Just like normal people today can't just walk up and steal your car, I mean, they can, but it's, it's frowned upon, right? Normal people today aren't legally allowed to take your car. But for some reason, right, like if, 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 if a police run up to you, right, and like he's been running after some dude, and he says, get out of your car, I need your car, right, you're going to be like, okay, I guess you can have my car. I don't really know what, what the like, you know, like where, where the law is on me telling him no in that moment. But, but I would probably give it to him, right? Like, okay, you've got a badge and a gun and you're sweaty. Take the car and go do whatever you need to do. In Jesus' day, there was only one person who was allowed to do that, to take an animal and say, I'm taking this for my benefit, and that was the king. Right? The only person who was allowed to requisition an animal, a horse or a donkey or a mule or an ox, was the king, and the king could do it with anything he wanted because he owned everything ultimately. And so when Jesus is saying, is, not only am I the Holy One, like the Ark of the Covenant personified, I am the King. If I say I want something, I get it because I am indeed the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. These are titles that Jesus is beginning to tell his disciples that he's going to own. Right Up to now, we've had 11 chapters or 10 full chapters of Jesus kind of like dancing around who he is, what his purpose is, what he's going to do. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he says, I'm going to come in as the holy, righteous king. And that's how I'm going to come in. And sure enough, he does it. The man says, what are you doing? They say, Jesus needs it. And somehow in his spirit, the man knows, oh, that's okay. And he lets the animal go and Jesus gets the animal. We pick up. Um, in verse, in verse uh, 7, it said they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it. And Jesus sat on the donkey. First, first time anyone sat on this colt or donkey. And they said many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches, palm branches as we know, um, that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before him and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, so Jesus has mounted the donkey and then all of a sudden people start throwing their garments on the road and they throw these uh, palm fronds and leafy branches on the road. And this is again a little bit weird. Okay, this is not normal behavior in the ancient Near East in first century century. Jerusalem, not many people entered into Jerusalem with this big procession of people before him and after him shouting Hosanna, which literally means like the Lord saves. That's, that's what it means, right? Uh, and so, so you don't get this very often. This is, again, a reference back the, to, to one of the Old Testament kings, a guy named Jehu. Um, everyone knows the story of Jehu. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jehu is, is a king, and when he takes the kingdom, this exact scene takes place. Men lay down their cloaks and they lay leafy branches down on the ground and they say, Jehu is king, right? right he's taking the kingdom. He, he, was, he was inaugurated king in that moment. It was a big, dramatic moment in the Old Testament to say this guy is now king. And as, as Jesus is riding in Jerusalem, these people are laying out that same thing. Not only is he the, the holy one riding the unridden donkey, not only is he the... Um, like the king who's requisitioning things, other people are claiming he's king, right? The tension is big and bold. And if the story ended right here, we would say, What a wonderful entrance! Jesus had into Jerusalem. Remember, this crowd that's around him, before him, and behind him have been with him for a little while, right? They saw what happened last week where Bartimaeus was blind and called out, Jesus, uh, son of David, heal me, right? right? He, they, they've seen the blind man healed on the road right next to Jerusalem. They've seen other miracles possibly that Jesus done. They've heard him teach as he's been going down the road with his disciples and the crowd is big and thick and everyone is going to Jerusalem. But the purpose for everyone going to Jerusalem isn't just to be with Jesus. Right? The purpose, why there's a big crowd going to Jerusalem, Bill explained last week, is because Passover, this big festival is coming on. And when Passover happened, Jerusalem would get like five times larger. Right? So if there was 50,000 people living in Jerusalem, I'm making up numbers because I don't know them, um, there would be 250,000 people. ...living in Jerusalem, right? That's what happens to my house, right? When I got here, there was like three kids... ...and now there's like 98 kids living in my house. Last night, I walked into my house. This is no joke. I walked into my house last night at like 11 o'clock... ...or right around 11 o'clock. And I opened my door. There's like a random kid in my... ...I don't even know this kid. That's not true. I know you, Josh. Uh, But it's like like a totally random kid. He's not my kid. He wasn't in my house when I left at 9.30... ...and all of a sudden there's a new random kid... In my house, not only that, there's this kitten that I told you about. By the way, if you're interested in this kitten, right? Right after the service, you come see me. You would love, it was so sweet and kind. McGee's got you back there. I got a hand raised by one of the McGee boys. So it's been spoken for, but if you want to offer me more than nothing, you can, you can talk to me about that. But guys, like like Jerusalem would get so huge. It would grow so massive because of all the, the people. And so everyone was going to go to the big festival celebration of Passover. And so when they got there, what happened is there was this huge crowd praising Jesus and then everyone kind of went where they were going. Right, Like that, some people would turn at the first road and go down to their, you know, their friend's house or their relative's house and other people on the second road and other people on the third road. And this big crowd that was yelling, Hosanna, the Lord saves. Hosanna, the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and blessed is he who inaugurates David's kingdom again. Blessed is this great king. They all kind of just disappear. And then all of a sudden we're left in verse 11. And Jesus gets to where he was actually going it says, And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And this is the story, the end of the triumphal entry. This huge, massive party, this great crowds of people, this holy, righteous king riding an, a donkey that's never been ridden, who's, who's being proclaimed king by people, who's taking on the term of king for himself, everyone is going wild and you go just a few steps into the city I mean you just go go a half mile into the city and Jesus walks into the temple which is the place right it is it is the holy place for the Jewish people it was the most holy place in, in all of, in all of Jewish life and it was a place where only like uh, ritually clean people could enter the outer portions of it and the priests could only go to the inner portions of it and Jesus walks into the temple And all of a sudden that crowd that was talked about one verse before is just gone. It's just vanished. This big crowd that was screaming and yelling and praising God is gone. And you just have Jesus and these disciples standing in the temple. And my Bible says, what does it say? It says, uh, Jesus looked around at everything. And what that means uh, literally is he gave a close and careful inspection of everything that was going on in the temple. So he, it's not like you walked in here today and you're like, oh, we've got the patriotic flowers out today, right? And then you're done. Like he looked everything over. He was clear about every detail that was going on in the temple. He took a commanding view of the temple because Jesus is going to say in just a matter of, I don't know, maybe next week. right? Like this temple, which is supposed to be bringing people from outside into the, the, the knowledge of who God is. This temple was all messed up, but the new temple's here in Jesus Christ. Right, he's about to make this bold claim that the temple, which is one of the reasons Jesus gets executed, right? Is that you know, he's blaspheming the temple and he's going to tear down the temple, he's going to destroy the temple with things that he's accused of, of saying. But the truth is, Jesus looks at the temple, he examines it, he's disappointed with it, and he leaves. He leaves town, he goes back out to Bethany, which is the the hometown of Lazarus, if you know the story of the dead man who Jesus brought back to life, one of his dear friends. And he goes back out to Bethany, and he stays there outside of Jerusalem for his first night. This story is an interesting story to me. Because in this story, we have all of this exuberance. We have all this excitement. We have a crowd of people screaming and yelling for Jesus. But you know, when, when there's a moment, when there's an opportunity for them to disappear, they do. I've been a believer now uh, in Jesus Christ since I was 15 years old. So that's now 22 years. I'm getting older. Am I, am I 37? Thank you. I can't remember. Golly. <laughs> so, so I've been a believer in Jesus for 22 years now. And there's a lot of stuff that I've experienced in my life. And I've been in ministry for the vast majority of my time as a believer. Whether it with college students, youth, or now working with you guys here that I love so much. You know, one thing that I've seen over and over again, though, is that people oftentimes love the crowd that follows Jesus. And man, we join in that crowd and we scream and we shout and we're so excited about the King who's coming to take care of things. And We proclaim Jesus King, we proclaim Jesus Lord, we say you are in charge, you are righteous and holy and we're so excited for you, but it doesn't take but a couple steps later and and they're nowhere around following Jesus. They're nowhere around following Jesus. They may still be in church. Right? They may be here today, but they're not really following Jesus. Not like they professed that they would. right? Not like their mouth said they would. Like this crowd that was with Jesus, who was calling him uh, the one who saves, who's going to inaugurate the kingdom, who, who laid down their robes and their cloaks to say, you are the king. They're gone. It wasn't just that they're gone when trials come and when hard times come. They're gone when the excitement wears away. Some of us just chase after the next thing that's exciting. And we run from one exciting thing to another exciting thing, from one fad to another fad. And somewhere in your chasing of fads, Jesus Christ was a fad. He said, oh, I can't believe that Jesus would die on the cross and save someone like me. You know, I'm still in awe that Jesus would die on the cross and save someone like me. I really am. But a lot of us, we've lost that awe. Like, of course he would say someone like me. I'm amazed that he would say someone like him. Right, like that guy over there. Guys, you got to be careful not to be caught up in too much exuberance that you miss out on who Jesus really is. Look, I'm all about, I love emotions. To some degree. I think emotions are a part of who God made you to be. He made you an emotional person with, with, with feelings, and those feelings matter to some degree or another. But if your whole life is driven that way, and when you're excited, and when you're loving life, and Jesus is good, you're faithful, and when things are bad or rough or just normal, you're not, guys, that's not really a faithful following of Christ. And so one thing I'd ask you to do, like the thing that helps me stay faithfully excited about Jesus Christ that keeps me hopefully in the crowd of disciples and not the crowd of people who disappeared is a constant reminder about who I am without Christ. That's, here's who I am without Christ. Right? Here's who I am, just, just who I am. right? I, I'm a pretty messed up person. Right? I, I make stupid decisions. I say stupid things. I say hurtful things when I don't even mean to. And then I say hurtful things when I mean to. I'm arrogant. Right? Like, I, like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm conceited. I worry about what other people think about me. That's, that's who I am. Right? And, and that person, that person is pretty miserable. He's a pretty miserable person. But Jesus fixes all of that. I'm still arrogant at times. I'm still pride-bound at times. I can still say hurtful things at times. But if I remember that's who I am, I can look at Jesus Christ and say, thank you, Lord, for suffering for someone like me. Because I don't have it together. Some people come to church and you got it together. Praise the Lord for those of you who got your lives together and you don't mess up like your preacher does. Praise the Lord for you holy, holy people. But me, I need Jesus' grace today. Like, like, I've got 12 more hours this day. I promise I'm going to need Jesus' grace today. And because I know that, it keeps me faithfully saying, thank you, Lord, for what you did. Because I know that I messed up. And so some of you may need to come to a full realization like like you've been running from exuberance to to apathy and exuberance to apathy and you may just need to say, you know what, I'm not that good. My life isn't that good and if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ demonstrated now in my life, I would be in a miserable spot. And remind yourself day after day after day that God saves people who are just not all together. He did that for me. I hope that you understand that He does that for you, And then your enthusiasm goes from just like emotions to faith. Where you just know in faith that God loves you. Even you. What you've done, where you've been, where you are right now. God loves you. It's tremendous to know. There's another thing that we can learn from this passage, though. It's not just that we have to be careful not to fall into the crowd of people who are, who, who are there and then we're gone. And you understand, there was a people in the temple when Jesus showed up, and it was late, and he did leave, but there were people doing the work of the temple, and none of those people in the holy place recognized who Jesus was. You know, sometimes we can be so religious, and I'm not really down on religion, but we can be so religious, so dogmatic, so caught up in making sure that we can quote chapter and verse absolutely correctly, That we miss out on when Jesus shows up. And these people, they knew it all. These priests, these uh, teachers of law who would be in the temple at that time, they knew everything about the coming Messiah. They had all the information they needed. But you know what? When Jesus showed up, they didn't recognize him. No one, as far as we know, responded to his arrival. He just walked in, looked around, was unnoticed by the people who should have noticed him. And left. I, I've said before that, that raising your family in church is one of the best things you can do. If you're a, a father or a mother, to raise your kids in church is a wonderful gift to them because you give them a foundation to build off of for, for their entire life. But it can be dangerous as well because some people come to church and they get just enough Jesus to be inoculated from faith. Right? Just, just like, you know, some of y'all have a big scar on your arm, right, from, from inoculations that you got once upon a time and that, that, that they give you just enough of that virus so that you can never get that virus again. Right? And some people come to church, and they never really receive all that Jesus has to offer, and they get just enough that they never can receive. And I think that's what happened to the people in the temple. They, they had just enough religion, just enough of the Old Testament God, just enough of the law and the prophets, that when the fulfillment of the law and the prophets showed up, they, they couldn't get it. I pray that that's not you. I pray that that's not you. And if it is, what, what the, the solution to that is to get all that Jesus has to offer. That means to fall full face down and recognize Christ loves you enough to die for you. Has Jesus turned everything over? The center of worship was the temple. It's now, now, now the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The holiest thing in all of, all of humanity was this Ark of the Covenant where Moses put the Ten Commandments and the manna and Aaron's budded staff. Right, Those things that were in there, the holiest thing. Someone touched it once upon a time in the Old Testament and they died because they weren't holy enough to touch the, this, this holy object. Jesus says, I am holier than that. He's the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords, and He asks you, He asks you to allow Him to be a part of your life. It's amazing to me that God doesn't force Himself on us, but rather shows up and offers all that He is to us to receive. If you're here today and you haven't received the grace of Jesus Christ, I want you to know you are naturally separated from God. You're naturally wicked. right? I know this because I am you. It's me. And this separation that we have from God is real and permanent and the only way to get past that was by Jesus Christ coming and giving all that He is and all that He was to you. And He died on a cross. This is a week later. Right? Good Friday or, or uh, Palm Sunday is seven days before Easter Sunday. A week later right, He's dead and He's rising again, conquering death in the grave saying, you can be a part of my family. You can have victory over death. You can have victory over sin. You can have victory over the grave because you have trusted in me. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you, trust in Christ today. Trust in him to cover the sin problem that you have. Don't fall into the crowd of exuberance of, oh, I'm so excited about Jesus. I mean, be excited about Jesus, but be excited about Jesus through faith. Don't get caught up in the emotion of the crowd. And if that's you today, we're going to have a time of invitation. You can come down and say, look, I I trust Jesus Christ today. I want Him to be my Lord and my Savior. I'll pray for you. We'll we'll celebrate that. I'll high-five you. And then we'll we'll, we'll talk about what that means to fall through with Jesus Christ.